the Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. Uh, we'll sit for about 30 minutes, then we'll have a talk and a discussion. Uh, please take a seat that feels com comfortable and upright and relaxed. And we'll begin the meditation. Please establish yourself here in the present moment. helpful to find the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, being aware of the aliveness that is sitting here right now. and establishing a sense of collect collectedness or composure by being aware of the physicality of the body sitting here, breathing. You could be aware of the different sensations of body or the posture of the body or the temperature of the body. Or the proprioceptive sense of a body sitting here in space. And of course, many of us are aware that the body is breathing.
So please sense, feel, be aware of the body sitting here alive, breathing. Letting yourself be guided by the fact that every moment is new. Every moment of being aware of the body or the breath is new. And we want to be here very simply with just this moment of the new sense of sensation or temperature or space or breath. And if you're sleepy on this Sunday evening, please stand up if you see that you're falling asleep right now. Yes, lift your head up and even stand up. Um, just trying to support some of us who fall asleep, which is quite natural. But we're, we're practicing meditation to wake up, not to sleep. And whether we're sitting or standing, we want to simply be aware of the body, the breath, and when we feel composed, open to the space of awareness, whatever is predominant in our awareness, thoughts, feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, states of consciousness, Whatever is here, whatever arises newly in this moment, can we be here for this life in this very simple, ordinary and extraordinary way that it manifests 
moment by moment by moment. practice tonight is very simple. Just this moment of being aware, awake, present, with each moment as it newly arises now. Staying very present, whether we like the moment or don't like the moment or want it or don't want it, being aware of all of it, the wanting and not wanting, the liking and the not liking. This moment of life.
technical question for you. Uh, did the bell ring and continue to ring or did it just ring and stop? Continue. Okay, great. It, it stopped um, and then somehow the reverberations of it continued. It stopped and then somehow it continued. Okay, so here, tell me now, does it sound any better when I ring it now? No. Okay. Okay. I'm just playing with Zoom settings to, because different settings work for the bell than for talking. So, but that's a whole, that's, we don't need to talk about that anymore. Thank you. Welcome. Um, uh, one announcement, maybe two announcements before uh, the talk tonight. One is that we have a new program starting. Um, January 4th called Mid, uh, Midday Dharma, which will be every, every Monday from 12 to 1. And it'll have different teachers, including Raul uh, Coronado and Eileen Spillane and Cyrus Smith and Nina Gold. And they'll be alternating on different days who's teaching. But it'll be every Monday and it'll be, uh, you know, uh, meditation and then a little dharmat, and then questions and comments together. So check it out. Uh, you know, people ask for that uh, because we used to have some uh, day classes and they're gone. So we're restarting those. Um, and the other is just to remind you about Donna. It's the end of the year. If you make a donation to SFI, it's very beneficial. So your generosity is appreciated. Uh, it supports the um, SFI and the programs and development. Also, some of the money is paid to me. It's given to me. So thank you. I appreciate the Donna. Uh, yeah. So those are a couple little announcements. And now we'll um, let's talk about uh, the end of the year. I named the title of this talk was Holy Days, Hallelujah. Holy Days, Hallelujah, because the new year is part of the holy days of the year that we've all been living with and, uh, and working with, given how, you know, what our holy days are like, depending on what we might be celebrating, whether it's solstice, solstice, or Christmas, or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, um, or, or might be other holy days I'm not mentioning that occur around this time of the year, and that are part, and New Year is one of those, because the um, the these holy days all celebrate a little bit the dying and the rebirth of the light of nature. Right, the solstice is the is really, that's really the new year. That's really the change in, in the cycle. And so, uh, and human beings seem to have been celebrating the changes of nature forever. As long as we've been around, 
we've been bowing to the natural world that we're part of. And by bowing, I mean, we, we really uh, acknowledge the change when, when the shortest day of the year starts to grow and grow longer. It's appreciated by human beings. It's warmer. And we like to be warm and comfortable and be able to grow things. And yeah. And so the, the, um, the holiday season, what's called the holiday season, is really what is rooted in the holy, right? The word holiday comes from holy day. And uh, I was just reading something even about Sunday. Because so, Sunday is a common holy day in the Christian tradition, right? And it's from the Latin, and it means it's the sun's day, and it's the bowing to the sun's day and the appreciation of the sun giving us life and life not just for us but for the earth. And it's yeah, the sun's day, solis. Uh, Germanic and Norse mythology also personified the sun as a goddess named Suna or Sole. And so that kind of appreciation and the weaving of the holy into the ordinary is very important for us because there's something about human beings understanding the mystery of being of our being here and the magic of it and the mystery of nature and the whole natural world that we are part of, that we are an expression of. And so the forces of nature and the power of nature allow us to perceive the numinous, the, the whole serious nature of reality and we can start to see it sometimes more fully in nature itself. And then seeing sometimes, not always, but sometimes we see that we are also nature itself. And so the holy days, the word holy comes from Old English, holy, H-O-L-I, H-A-L-I, meaning whole, complete. W-H-O-L-E, whole, or well. And holy was often times that were dedicated to God or to the divine or to the sacred or to the hallowed, which also the same word comes from holy, hallowed, H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D. And it's about spiritual wholeness and part of what I believe we're seeking. Um, Hmm. And what does it mean? This is a question for all of us. What does it mean to become whole? W-H-O-L-A. What does it mean to become complete or full or realize who and what we are? And what does it mean for us to realize the divine or the holy is right here? And sometimes it's pointed at as the divine or God or the transcendent is another way to talk about the holy. 
another word that's related to holy is sacred, right? Sacred meaning, uh, sacred means something set apart by a solemn religious ceremony or good sense or made holy or consecrated like Sunday as a holy day, right? The, the, um, the Sabbath is something that human beings have been doing for at least 5,000 years, if not longer. And, and it's something that we do because we need to bow to the holy that's in the ordinary or in the day of our life. And by bow, I don't mean bow in submission. I mean bow in devotion or bow in reverence or bow in appreciation to the um, magic of being here or being alive. This is from um, in the Jewish tradition, a man named uh, Herschel. He said, the seventh day is a palace in time. The seventh day is a palace in time which we build. It is made of soul, of joy, and reticence. In, it, in its atmosphere, a disciple, a discipline is a reminder, discipline is a reminder of an agency to eternity, connecting to eternity. Indeed, the splendor of the day is expressed of abstentions. Right, and this is a this is an important piece in many traditions, right? That the splendor or the or the beauty or the sacredness of the day is is expressed in terms of abstentions, just as the mystery of God is more adequately conveyed via negativa in the categories of negative theology, which claim that we can never say that we can never say what is we can only say what god is not right and it's very uh, that's a very traditional theological perspective via neg negativa negativa and it's a way of describing something by saying what it is not and and uh, in buddhism awakening is described often by what it is not it is really one of the most basic ways of talking about of awakening is calling it the unconditioned. The unconditioned. We're not saying, oh, this is what it is. What it's not, it's not the condition. It's the unconditioned. That's what we're pointing at. We're pointing at a reality that's not based just on causes and conditions. It's not based on habit. It's not based on our psychology. It's not based on our object relations with others. It's not based on our, uh, on our um, habits. There's something more to who and what we are than what we're used to or the familiar or the ordinary in that way. And of course, the unconditioned or the absence of greed, hate, and delusion. The absence of greed, hate, and delusion is how awakening is described. <clears throat> Here's another way it's talked about. Um, well, this is going further about the Sabbath, about Sunday or Saturday in the Jewish tradition or Friday in other traditions. 
right? The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. I would say in this moment, the holiness of just this, of this magical moment that's here. He says, we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation. From the results to the mystery, like what brought anything here is part of the mystery and beauty and delight and interest for me in practice. So we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of cre creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. And the creation of the world doesn't just mean the physical world, it means the creation of this moment here right now, of, of the words coming into your ears, the creation of the thoughts that are rising in your heart and mind, the feelings that may be here, or whatever may be appearing in this moment is part of that creation. And so all of this a little bit, I'm saying uh, to support our reflection on 2020, because if you've noticed technically 2020 is about to end very soon. Everybody got that? Is that clear? Okay. So, you know, we, we had a year and it was an interesting year, wasn't it? <laughs> or a strange year or a wild year or a, where the hell did this year come from? Have we ever had a year like this before kind of year? Not exactly, not that I know of. I mean, and I've been through enough years, so I've seen good years and bad years and weird years, but this was, this was, this was right up there with the top, you know, this was like one of the number one weird years, right? I mean, COVID-19 changed everything. In addition to all the weirdness that was already here, then we had COVID-19. And so, you know, when we talk about holy, it was, was 2020 holy or was it unholy? So that's a really interesting part of our reflection, right? Because what was your year like? Was it like many people difficult or grief filled for many people or challenging or surprising or mysterious? or life-changing, or opening, or all of the above, right? It wasn't just A or B, or wasn't just B or A, or wasn't just both A and B, and it wasn't just neither A and B. It was all of the above. I mean, for so many of us, we've had a really seriously changed reality this year, physically and psychologically and emotionally and socially and politically and right and it was it was we look did we maybe i'm wrong but i think we learned a whole new way of life this year right i mean especially at the beginning of covid19 where things really stopped for a while 
even though for some people they didn't stop because people were still doing enough so that food was happening and health was happening, meaning hospitals were open and doctors were available and, and people were doing enough. Even when we first closed down, it was really closed for a while. You know, it was still, there were people working and functioning it out of their goodness of their heart and the need for us to continue so we could get food. And remember when to toilet paper was a big thing? Remember that? How many people here have like bundles of toilet paper in their closet that they stocked up on? <laughs> Maggie, here she's raising her hand, that's great. Thank you, Maggie. Really, because we all got everybody, you know, our fear got quite stimulated about were we gonna be okay? And, you know, and we had to let go of a way of life that we were used to, including our idea of what was normal. Because now, and it changed, of course, we see it always changes normalcy, but it's still with us, right, COVID-19, even though I know that I, I keep hearing there's a vaccine and it works and people are getting shots, good, great, I hope it all works. I'm looking forward. I'm happy to take the vaccine. I'm not anti-vaccine at all. Uh, but, you know, we're still dealing with COVID-19. It's not quite a year later. And it's normal to be dealing with COVID-19 now. That's part of our normalcy. And... I assume one of the things we've all learned in this year is how important the Dharma is and practices and waking up is and learning how to use the gift and the magic of awareness to stay present and to see clearly and to work with our emotions and our fears and our grief and our difficulty and also to enjoy to enjoy the moments that aren't grief, excuse me, that aren't grief, that aren't difficulty, that aren't fearful. You know, it was a, a beautiful day today here in San Francisco. And, you know, I had a nice walk and, and it, it's still good to be alive for a moment. It doesn't mean every moment is good, but there are moments that are good. And one of the pieces we might reflect on tonight is how COVID-19 woke us up or helped us. There's a great haiku that said, Barnes, barn, Barnes burnt down. Now I can see the moon. The Barnes burnt down. Now I can see the moon. And it's pointing at the, it's by uh, Masahida, uh, Japanese poet from 1700s. And he's pointing at how dukkha leads to the end of dukkha. How that even the barn burning down, which of course he didn't want, then something revealed itself about reality. He saw something else new in another way. Right, And so I believe we've all become more resilient in 
2020. And we've all learned to uh, appreciate not every moment, but to appreciate the simplicity of being alive, of, of just a beautiful day or a walk or a friend, even if we can't be with them in person, even on Zoom, you know, this ridiculous magic called technology that allows us all to be together every Sunday during COVID-19 when people can't be physically together. And we've also learned more about our world because of that simplicity. Uh, we've learned, I believe we've all learned more about systemic racism because there was no, there wasn't any entertainment to turn away from the vivid reality that we witnessed, of course, with the George Floyd killing, and then the other murders that we've seen of black and brown people that have come from the police and their total um, misunderstanding of reality. And so we've learned a lot about systemic racism and what it what black lives matters really means and also we've learned about the goodness of people who stand up for the truth for justice for reality and and for uh, health care and for food for people and it's still it's still happening all the goodness of people, which is so undervalued in the mass media that is still happening. The thousands of good deeds that are done every hour that we don't ever hear about. Pablo Neruda said, he said, you can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. You can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. And it's beautiful. And it's important for us to reflect personally about our uh, intention for the new year. What, how do we want to live? What inspires you? What inspired you this year? And what inspires you in the new year? Right? And uh, I am going to read you something probably a little longer than I ever read, but I'm going to I've been so moved by this book called Cast, which I would encourage people to read if you're interested. If you're interested in learning about race in America, Cast, really profound. She's quite brilliant. This is Isabel Wilkerson. And, um, and she looks at caste from India, like the different castes, including the Brahmins and the warriors. And I don't even know all the castes, including the Dalits or the un, what used to be called the untouchables. And she's comparing them to different nations that have castes, including Nazi Germany and the United States of America. And that's how she understands racism. And so here, I'm gonna to read to you a little bit. She And what I love is she weaves together narcissism. She reads together um, history, psychology, sociology, politics, and uh, into a kind of wisdom of how to see the world and see our lives and our reality so that we can awaken in it. 
And here she's talking about the narcissism of racism, of caste, as she calls it. And, and she starts, she says, we are accustomed to the concept of narcissism, a complex condition of self-aggrandizing entitlement and disregard of others, growing out, out of a hollow insecurity. So she sees the causes and conditions for narcissism. So she's including it, which she calls a hollow insecurity. We see how the concept of narcissism applies to individuals, but some scholars apply it to the behavior of nations, tribes, and subgroups. Freud was among the earliest psychoanalysis to connect a psychiatric psychiatric diagnosis to Narcissus of Greek mythology, the son of the river god who fell in love with his own image in a pool of water and not realizing that it was he who was spurning him, his affection, died in despair, right? So Narcissus is looking in the water, he falls in love with his image and his image doesn't respond and he dies of a broken heart, right? And so a, a psychologist, uh, Elsa Ronningstam, she wrote, uh, Narcissus could not conceive that he was in love with his own reflection. He was caught in an illusion. And this happens to many of us and also happens collectively and happens to different subgroups in the United States. Right, and so she goes on, uh, Isabel Wilkinson. He says, so too groups trained to believe in their inherent sovereignty, the essence of this overestimation of one's position and the hate for all who differ from it is narcissism, wrote the psychologist and social theorist, Eric Fromm. He is nothing, Fromm wrote, but if he can identify with his nature, na nation, or transfer his personal narcissism to the nation, then he is everything. A person deeply invested in his group's dominance has a euphoric on top of the world feeling, while in reality, he is in a state of self-inflation, Fromm wrote. This leads to severe distortion of his capacity to think and to judge. He and his are overvalued. Everything outside is undervalued. So he's talking really like if we were to say, um, uh, you know, uh, a strong white man who's a racist, who, who, over, who overvalues his whiteness and how important it is consciously or unconsciously, and then undervalues people who aren't, quote, white, right? And then um, Eric Fromm goes on. Um, underneath this may lie the fear that he cannot live up to the constructed ideal, ideal of his own perfection. History has shown that nations and groups will conquer, colonize, enslave, and kill to maintain the illusion of their primacy. Their investment in this illusion gives them as much a stake in the inferiority of those deemed beneath them, as well as their own presumed superiority. Fromm wrote, 
the survival of the group depends to some extent on the fact that its members consider its importance as great or greater than that of their own lives. And furthermore, that they believe in their righteousness and even superiority of the group as compared to others. Thus, under threat, they are willing to sacrifice themselves and their ideals for the survival of the group from which they draw their self-esteem. The social theorist Takamichi Sakuraya wrote bluntly, group narcissism leads people to fascism. Group narcissism leads people to fascism. An extreme form of group fascism means malignant narcissism, which gives rise to fanatical fascist politics and extreme ra racialism. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's part of what I see, and maybe I'm wrong here, you can tell me, happened here in this country, that we elected someone who's narcissistically compromised and then he led from that kind of position. And then the last piece, let's see, in modern times, this kind of group narcissism has gripped two nations in particular, according to Fromm. The racial narcissism, which existed in Hitler's Germany and which is found in the American South. And this was, he wrote this in 1964 at the height of the civil rights movement. Fromm knew well the perils of group narcissism both from both his training as a psychoanalyst and his personal experience. He was a German Jew who fled to Switzerland after the Nazis took power in Germany and then to the United States in 1934. He saw firsthand the Nazi appeals to the fears and insecurities of everyday Germans in the lead up to the Nazi takeover. If one examines the judgment of the poor whites regarding blacks or the Nazis in regard to Jews, Eric Traum wrote, one can easily recognize the distorted character of their respective judgments. Little straws of truth are put together, but the whole which is thus formed consists of falsehoods and fabrications. If the political actions are based on narcissistic self-glorifications, the lack of objectivity often leads to this, 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 uh, that, this, I'm missing the word, this, that, I can't read the word, sorry, to bad consequences, that's what it's saying. Um, and I'm reading this because I've been inspired by this book because it's woke me up, because it's helped me understand more the bigger picture of where I am and what I'm seeing and how to relate to it given it comes also in a bigger picture of the unconsciousness of human beings that didn't just start here today or this year or four years ago or even 400 years ago when racism really began in the United States, that it began even before that. And if you, the other person to read is Resma Menicum about looking back at the trauma that the white people brought 
to this country. And then they conquered the native peoples and, and instituted a racist um, culture. And he's very good at, at, at pointing at the trauma that they came from, that they were leaving from, that they were escaping from and trying to be free from. And so we start to see the whole human picture of dukkha and the cause of the dukkha. And hopefully we can keep seeing the possibility for freedom from dukkha. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, he said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And so I actually have a lot more here. I'm not gonna read all of this. I'm gonna to go to what's your intention for 2021? It's a new year. What do you wish? What do you hope for? What do you want? What do you yearn for? And what will you give yourself to in order to wake up, be free, be at ease, be happy? Whatever words you wanna use yourself, discover reality, whatever it might be, right? You know, and I see for myself, I, I really like to keep learning and understanding and waking up. And it's not a done deal. It's not just, it doesn't end is what's clear for me. And so I still have a very similar intention that I've lived with for a few years now. And it, it's always about what does it mean to give myself more fully to practice? What does it mean to give myself more fully to the truth, to what, to seeing what's true, even right here when it's difficult, and to being with what's true, and then to opening that to the world at the same time. And so somebody sent me a, a different uh, version of the Bodhisattva vows, and I love the vows, and it, and it's part. It's it, they're they're not something I say but they're an inherent part of my intention. And here I'll read you uh, the, the version that was sent me. I'll, I'll read you my version that I usually use and then the version that was sent me. Uh, it's the one I know is from Zen Center in San Francisco. And it goes, it says, beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Right? So that's the version I know that I love. And then a new one that I like very much, which starts, um, creations are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to transform them. Reality is boundless. I vow to perceive it. The awakened way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. So those, for me, those are really beautiful intentions. Um, and then I'll just say one last one about holy and Buddhism and the simplicity which is from Suzuki Roshi, what he said, he said, just to be alive is enough. And it's really about the holiness of the ordinary, of the everyday, of right here. I mean, 
It's all right. It's all right here. Everything I'm talking about is right here, actually. And it's our, it's our practice to wake up to it, to look more closely at what's here. And, you know, Kwanzaa, which I, I don't know a lot about, but I'm learning a little bit about it, is modeled after the harvest of first fruits celebrations from ancient Egypt and West Africa's yam festival and uh, other celebrations in, on, in the continent of Africa. And it's a time of absolute free thinking and openness. A sense of spirit is centered, grounded, and elevated at once. And I love that combination of both grounded and elevated at the same time. Mm. Uh, maybe I'll end with this last poem from William Blake, who said, to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower, to hold infinity in the palm of our hand and eternity in an hour. The magic of reality is it's always right here, even in the difficulty. So those are a few thoughts about 2020 and the new year and practice. And I'd love to hear from you. Any questions, comments, reactions, liking, not liking, please raise your hand. Go to the participants button and, uh, and then you raise your hand. I'd love to hear from people who don't usually speak because I'm always happy to talk to the people who I know, but uh, it's, it's really surprising sometimes how many people don't say something. So you could make this a really uh, an adventure for the adventurous way to end 2020 by raising your hand and speaking, even though you're shy or, you know, whatever, whatever might make you feel inhibited, speak anyways, see what happens. And of course, until then, I'm going to call on Bob. Please unmute Bob. So I've, I've been struggling with becoming more at ease or comfortable in my own skin, and it's been difficult. Um, and I discovered a few quotes that really fit that difficulty. And I wanted to share them. Okay. One is, of course, from Rumi, which says, I know this one by heart. Your task is not to seek for love, but to seek all the obstacles you have built against it. And love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. It's a beautiful quote from Rumi. I know the quote, and I, yeah, I love the quote because he's pointing at we're not trying to get rid of things, we're trying to wake up with reality, even when we don't like it. Yeah, and the other one is from a Zen nun in Switzerland, Maya Doku, Doka, 
and who has a center there. And she says, often people begin to meditate because they want to exclude everything that appears to cause them stress from the noise around them to the noise within themselves. Meditation, however, is not a path of exclusion, but a path of inclusion of all that exists. It does not serve to build better protective walls, but to break the existing ones. Yeah, similar flavor from the Rumi. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Nisha, please unmute yourself. Hi, Eugene. Um, I'm I'm with Alicia. I'm Lonnie. <laughs> I'm Lonnie. Um, I I wanted to uh, just sort of comment that I uh, for this past year I've been using an, an app on my phone that some some of the people in the song I may know about. It's called We Croak. Oh yeah, I know we croak. Yeah, we croak is really great. Five times a day, you get a reminder of your mortality and a and a wonderful quote mm -hmm. to think about. You know, think about the fact that we're mortal and we're going to die, and to contemplate your you know your mortality, which is I it's been one of the wonderful things that's helped me mm -hmm. sort of make it through this year, mm -hmm. um, and because you used that William Blake quote to end tonight, it made me think of often there's quotes from Sophocles and Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one that I'm thinking of in particular from Marcus Aurelius, which comes up from time to time, it's really great. It says, he said, you do not know how long you have. You should use the time you have to free yourself. Which is just such a completely wonderful, you know, Buddhist expression. Yeah. Yeah. Could have come from the mouth of Siddhartha, mm -hmm. and um, um, it, it did come from the mouth of Siddhartha, but in a different culture and country and time and place. Exactly, and I think that that's one of the wonderful things is that the nature of reality is such that it is. That, that's the thing. And sure. it doesn't matter that we try to um, understand the nature of reality as it was, you know, taught or expressed by the Buddha, or that it's taught or expressed by Rumi or Sophocles or Marcus Aurelius or anyone. It's really the task is to understand the nature of reality. And once we do that, it doesn't matter where we're from or where we're going or who we learn from. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't even know what I'm saying other than. No, no, it's good. Good what you're saying. So I have a good question for you. Then, then what does matter? Well, what matters is to, is to perceive reality 
unfettered by mm -hmm. narcissism or nar you know your personal whatever is your your personal you know hang up or the dukkha yeah. that that yeah. you deal with to perceive the nature of reality the goal really is just to perceive the nature of reality is is that the goal because i mean let's say it, um uh, if that's the goal, then why are we, if we feel like we've perceived the nature of reality, why would anybody say anything? Well, you know, the, <laughs> the capacity for self-delusion is pretty strong. Yeah, but even the Buddha, why did the Buddha say anything? Let's say the Buddha was totally enlightened, right? Which is, that's how it's, he's talked about. So... And, and if you read the text, even he doesn't know what to do at first. And, and, uh, and he, um, I'm trying to remember exactly if he's walking or he's, uh, but he's contemplating what to do and he gets it. Um, and basically somebody comes and says, who are you? And he says, oh, I'm awake and I'm this, that. And they like, just like, oh, who the hell is this guy? And they leave. And he realizes that um, that something else is needed. Something else matters to use your language. It's mm. not just about being awake. It's about uh, he became a vehicle for a teaching, right? Remember, he wasn't a Buddhist. What he taught became Buddhism, right? And what he taught was a way or a path. And that's true of different people that I, you know, have talked to who have started paths, right? It's like not just their thing, it comes through them. Yeah. So, and, and, and on, a, on a broader way, what you're talking about, I believe is, oh, it means how do we, how do we see reality respond to reality, be reality, and support others to wake up so we wake up together. That it's not just about one person waking up. Right. Well, and there, you know, the, the, uh, the Bodhisattva vow. Right. Yeah. Into so, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess, you know, if I have a goal for uh, 2021, um, it, it will be to... Uh, discover for myself, you know, what, what, what that extra thing that matters. Mm -hmm. Great. That's a good, good intention. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Where, where did you get the, um, the interpreted Bodhisattva vows? Uh, I think it was sent to me. I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. Shoot. This is where my memory is so bad. Uh, is it something that could be heard? Pardon? Is it something that can be emailed out later I if you don't? Put it on the chat, I think. Should I try that? And, but also it's from Upaya. Upaya. Upaya Center in New Mexico. That's who it's from. Here, I'm okay. going to also see if I can. Oh, there it is. Nan Nancy's Nancy just, on it. Nancy just sent it out. Beautiful. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Julie, please unmute yourself. Hmm. 
Hi. Hi. I'm trying to get to you so I can just see you. Hi. Hi. I'm just, I'm raising my hand because I am always so shy in your classes to raise my hand. Glad you're here. I know. And um, I was wondering, should I, you know, that, oh, I should raise my hand. And then you mentioned that just that our awakeness is to support others awakening. And I feel how much your presence has supported my awakening. Mm -hmm. And as I'm developing to learn how to work with other people, I do yearn, Eugene, to have some contact with you about that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know even how to do that. And some people I've asked have been like, well, raise your hand when you're in this class. <laughs> but <laughs> like, I actually want to like, anyway, there's that whole yearning in my soul that's been happening for months about... I'm starting to work with people and I want your thumbprint or your soul print or my soul print, like, and I'm getting it because I'm attending your classes. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's my truth. Mm -hmm. So that's the best way to contact me is send me, send an email at SFI and I'll get it. And then we can see what might be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'd really love to do that actually. Yeah. So that's even right now, I feel lit up with 2021 just yeah. from that, really. Well, of course. And I mean, I don't know what will happen or what you're needing or what would be supportive for you, but you're coming forward and being real is good for you, but also it's good for all of us because others of us are shy about whatever we're shy about. Yeah. And we all need to understand at some point we need to come forward. Right, well, that's definitely part of um, my work in the world is to just keep stepping forward and um, the illusion cracking that um, I can hide it all anyway. That's great, really, because you can't hide it all. Right. And you, and you don't need to. And you can start to be aware of the causes and conditions that may have supported that position. For sure. Yeah, and that's what lets you, it crack. Pardon? That's what lets it crack as you understand those things. Then it's just, they just, it's like just cracks and falls away. That's right. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Well, thank you for that invitation. And I am going to follow up. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you for this community. Following up with my invitation. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Who else is going to follow up? I just wanted to comment briefly, and then you lower my just to comment when when I'm not asking, when I'm not calling on you. You you got to wait, Ben. I mean, Bob, I'm sorry, but you just got to be polite that way. Thank you. Okay, Karen and Francisco. Hi, um, I was thinking about what you said about things that we've learned to be grateful for in this past year. And you mentioned the, the Dharma and that's absolutely true. But the other thing related to that is the Sangha. Mm -hmm. The Sangha has, <laughs> yeah. um, it's just been a great support. It's, you know, for, if it weren't for Francisco, I, I would be really kind of isolated and, and that's okay. And I'm okay being alone, but, being with Francisco has 
kind of kept me happy and sane. And and having this sangha to listen to and talk to, and um, as well as your teachings, have been a real sustenance this year. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody. Yes, uh, I want to echo your thanks to everybody because it's it's been a benefit for all of us, right, collectively, and that's really important. Um, appreciate you bringing that in the room. Yeah, and I get to, to appreciate Francisco because he listened to me today when I was giving instructions <laughs> during the meditation. I, I'm so happy. And you know, I, I have to tell you one more thing now. <laughs> that, that was nice. That was very nice. <laughs> it's just like, who resist? And then what was really interesting is see how many other people also stood up, right? You weren't alone. I just want you to know that. Okay. Okay. America, happy new year. You too. Happy everything, really. May we all be happy. Okay. Okay, now, Bob, your head's not up anymore, so, okay. Anybody else? Because this is the last meeting of this year, last chance for 2020. Okay, I'm going to, Bob, you be quick, Bob, because more people now are asking there. But go uh, ahead. I'll be brief. Thank you. It's actually Ben. That name is not right. Um, ben, Bob, you know. Yeah. Ben, Bob. Ben, Bob. <laughs> um, so, it's, this is, what occurs to me is the story of the Buddha on the road before he was the Buddha, when he was still Prince Siddhartha, left his palace home and he's walking and he sees someone ill. The four heavenly messengers. He sees yes, heavenly yes. Sickness, old age, death, and, uh, and a mendicant. Yes. And, and what is occurring in me is uh, there's some early childhood trauma in me. Mm -hmm. And it's be, it's been coming up, mm -hmm. and along with it is PTSD, mm -hmm. and um, that I didn't realize emotionally that was in me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but it's a different story to experience it. Yes, and so we have we all have all these aspirations, but Rumi meant it when he said, "Your task is not." to seek love, but to seek all the obstacles mm -hmm. you have built. And sometimes you don't build them. Life builds them. Your circumstances yeah, build them. Sure. But it's not intentional. Yeah. But, but, but it's nevertheless, it's alive in you. Yeah. And then the fundamental necessity, if, we want, if I want to be free, is to recognize and accept and then transform um, kind, I'm not even sure how. Be kind um, to, be kind to the one who's suffering. Who's yes. Better, so, but, better but, to, 
to at least see my own suffering, to truly, in a very deep way. Yeah. And because without that, there's no possibility of liberation. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, okay, thank you. But it's really the kindness and compassion is so important, and I see it in myself. It's still, I need to be so kind to Eugene, who's full of it at times, or is unconscious at times, or is um, scared at times, or is angry at times, you know, and I don't understand why, but I need to be kind to the one who's having all of those experiences. So, okay, thank you. Okay, um, Rachel. Hello, Eugene, so good to see you and to Hi. be back. Yeah. Um, and great to be with everybody. I feel like a theme for me lately is um, not knowing, you know, I feel like, or it's something I'm just working with. Um, I just feel like as I've gotten older and a bit more experienced and wiser or whatever, I've, you know, accumulated like certainties. At least I feel, you know, strongly about certain things and I feel like I know certain things, mm -hmm. but then I'm, I've been seeing the truth lately of just the importance of cultivating not knowing mm -hmm. just how important that is in human relations uh, with people you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, that's a real dilemma for me. How do I both honor my knowledge yeah. and also sort of cultivate this sort of um, ability to listen and take in mm -hmm. the um, other points of view, for example. Mm -hmm. No, that's the, that's the edge of practice because mm -hmm. you know a lot and you know things and there's, but there's also so much we don't know mm -hmm. about anything. Mm -hmm. And can we trust the moment to keep revealing more and, to, and that's why we wanna learn how to stay here and be aware and be awake and be present with all of it, with the pluses and minuses that are right here, because where else are we gonna find out what's true? It's, it, I promise you, it may be a, at Safeway, but it's not the Safeway is selling, right? That's not their job. And, and, and for what you're talking about, and I'm gonna ask you to do one thing, just sit back a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, people have these faces that are big and you have a beautiful Sorry. face. No, it's okay. It's, believe me, I'm on Zoom so much that I, I've learned to be to ask people to move back a little. Because really, it's, um, there's so much we know and there's so much we don't know. And they're both true. And the real truth is, at least in my experience, there's so much more that we don't know than what we do know. And we're, and that's why the understanding is so important in the Dharma and, and such a key piece. I don't have my understanding quote. I thought about bringing it up, but I love the, I love that the Buddha equates uh, uh, realization with understanding. And that that's what we're doing. We keep understanding more. We don't get finished understanding. And that ties in, it's part of the weave of not knowing. 
And be really kind to yourself when you see you really thought you knew something and then, oh shit, I barely knew anything. It's what happens to me. I, I find that I tighten so much about what I know or what I think I know. Right. And the tightening leads to a lot of problems. It can. And so the question to, to the inquiry then is, why are you tightening? Because that, that then becomes part of your practice rather than just a problem. Because yeah, I mean, I can tighten when I don't like what somebody is saying, but can I stay here and see what are they really saying? Or what, where, where is what they're saying coming from? Or what's their dukkha they're speaking from if I really think they're wrong, right? Because people are wrong sometimes, at least in my opinion. And, you know, and yet there's, they're just people. And, and they're all, everyone is doing the best they can. Even when I don't like what they're doing at all, they're doing the best they can. So keep practicing. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, I think we're out of time now. So uh, let's just together take a moment and offer our, our, um, our good wishes for the new year together in terms of um, offering the merit of our time together, our good fortune. May it go out in every direction, in every realm, in every world. May it touch every being. May the dukkha or difficulty of 2020, may it be done or help awaken everybody. And may the potential of 2021 allow us all to wake up together. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from misunderstanding the truth, the magic of reality of who and what we are. May we wake up together. May all beings be free. Appreciations to everybody who um, who filled out my uh, my whatever I said, like Resmo Medicum's book and and where to find the Bodhisattva vows and Upaya and things like that. Okay, I'll see you uh, in a week in the next new year. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Happy Eugene. New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Happy New Bye. Year, everyone. Happy New Year. So, uh...
Holidays. Holidays. Happy New Year. Bye. I'm just reading the chats, which I know where to read when Okay. Be well, everybody. Bye. Hi, Nina. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Eugene. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.